My name is Umer. I'm Sadia. And I'm Connor. You're tuning in to Oats for Breakfast, which is an eco socialist podcast based in Toronto. In this episode, we're going to be chatting about the film Parasite, which was written and directed by the Korean filmmaker Bong Joon Ho. Parasite was released in South Korea this past summer and is currently screening in theaters across North America. This episode is, of course, going to contain spoilers, so if you're planning on watching Parasite and don't like spoilers, then right now is probably a good time to pause this episode and come back to listen when you've seen the movie. So I guess we could start by uh, giving a synopsis of the film. What do you guys think? Yes. All right. So how do we lay out the plot? So this film follows a poor family's attempts to uh, to secure an income. More specifically, one elaborate attempt to secure an income for each of their four family members. And they attempt to do this by scamming their way into being employed in the house of a rich family, which is the Park family. Um, in the process, they get their two existing servants of the Park family fired, one uh, driver, one housekeeper. But just as the poor family is starting to feel like they've successfully pulled off the scam, things take a very dark turn. Where the old housekeeper rings the doorbell and uh, she's asking to, to come in to get something that she forgot in the basement. They eventually do decide to let her in and she goes down to the basement and she's not coming up for a while. So the mother goes down and sees what she's up to and she finds her opening a secret door into an underground bunker where where she's hiding her husband, uh, who looks clearly in really bad shape because he's not been, nobody's known that he's down there since the old housekeeper got fired. So he's looks very neglected. And he's been living there for four years because he's, uh, they're debt collectors after him. So then, you know, in a, in a feel-good story, what would happen perhaps is you know, these two family units would say, oh, okay, we're, we're both poor. We're both relying on employment from this rich family. Let's like figure something out. In this case, what happens is the opposite. But, but yeah, so I guess at this point, it'd be good to kind of start chatting about some of the themes. Um, the main one is, I think, it's about a story of a family that's trying to survive in a capitalist society and the survival is it's like a bleak thing they're not they're not morally upstanding and you know they're not completely ethical and about and how they go about trying to survive and they have to put other people down in order to get ahead mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i mean what's interesting is that this poor family who we meet they're not poor in the sense that that they're destitute like it, they are resourceful because both the children, although they might not have gone to university, they have skill sets that at least they can pretend that seem to hold up in pretense to the rich family, even if the rich family is kind of uh, naive and gullible. But that suggests a certain kind of um, glass ceiling that exists for a certain class of people. 
uh, under capitalism that that for young people and and families like this who understand and even want education and have you know modern skill sets like the use of Photoshop and English language as skills and at least being able to like pull off being in wealthy spaces mm. but that's not enough for them without this kind of a uh, way in yeah they have to scam their way into employment i mean one of the themes that's like overarching that's kind of hits you in the face is a theme of parasites and and parasitic relations yeah you see that in the apartment in the semi basement apartment right you see the bugs the stink bugs that are there as part of the like they're the parasites that are dependent on the poor family and then the poor family like some of the dialogues it seems to suggest that the poor family understands that their own relationship with the the rich family is like that of insects right cockroaches that are just there to for the scraps that that are dropped but the scraps are valuable enough that it creates conflict between two sets of parasites right the old housekeeper and her husband they're of the same class so they are in their own way parasites mm. but there has to be conflict between the two to like for one to snuff out the other and you know dominate the territory right um and another um another thing i found interesting was that the the poor family and the old housekeeper and her husband who was living in the bunker they don't necessarily um have this deep disdain for the for the rich people like it the the husband in the bunker actually has a lot of respect for the patriarch of the rich family and even the the poor family who who's infiltrated it seems like they they respect the wealth and the status of the rich people uh yeah there doesn't seem to be like the con to the extent and the, and the conflict that we see is just among the poor families there's no apparent conflict between the rich family and either of the poor families at least at first yeah mm. i mean it's not until actually the very end mm. yeah the very very end that any hint of class antagonisms between the rich and the poor are are brought to the forefront whereas yeah for the vast majority of the film the rich family actually is you know they're gullible um but the poor look up to them as nice people and you know they even say well you know they can be nice because they're rich mm-hmm. like we can't be nice we're not you know we don't have that station in life right yeah i think the the metaphor that they used was uh like wealth irons out the personality mm-hmm. that it uh all the creases are the resentments and the ill-natured aspects of poor people's character and that you know so it's i guess it's a material analysis of like morals or material approach to morality and character yeah and that's what actually makes the movie even though you know like you're on the side of the poor family and you're actually on the side of both the poor i guess how units family units but you understand that these are deeply flawed people and that they're they're not deeply flawed as individuals as such they're they're flawed because of the context that they're in and it, you know the fact that it forces them to lose sight of what is ethical 
And and well, that's not completely fair because they don't completely lose sight of it, right? Like when their actions result in the firing of the driver, for instance, you know, the father who then takes the job as a driver, you know, wonders like, oh, that that other guy that got fired, he he got a job. He, he must have got another job, right? Mm-hmm. And and so there is this sense of like, okay, at least they're not completely, you know, just in it for themselves. Um, though, I mean, ultimately, that's that's what drives their actions. And then even when the eventually the um, the old housekeeper and her husband are locked in the bunker at one point, and the other family is trying to, you know, come up with some kind of a plan to deal with them, uh, but they don't really, you know, jump to uh, any gruesome intention. Like they're, they're, they're mostly just thinking about how they're going to be, how they're going to get access to food. And um, yeah, because when, uh, when the conflict between the poor family and the bunker dwelling couple, that comes to a head, like that conflict becomes bloody. And so the old housekeeper gets killed or dies as a result of the violence that the the poor family uh, intentionally and somewhat in self-defense and just somewhat in the moment ends up enacting on them. But what's, you know, what's interesting is that this whole time that this like intense conflict is playing out between these two poor families and people's lives are on the line, people's livelihoods are on the line, they could be sent to jail. Uh, the rich family is completely oblivious to the whole thing. And so these poor families are sneaking around trying to like, you know, not let the rich family know about the intensity of the conflict and the intensity of the consequences. But there is this kind of like, yeah, the rich people have no idea what the poor go through to try and keep what measly sort of handouts they are getting. Yeah, and the part of the what the moral is, is that whatever impulses towards class solidarity might exist, that might exist among the poor, that they are to an extent impossible to fulfill, mm-hmm. you know, in a context which requires people to, you know, like we, we're in constantly in competition with each other mm. uh, for employment and to seek a livelihood. And so just in, the, in this particular case, if this rich family's household serves as a metaphor for the economy, well, there are only four jobs available. Mm-hmm. And there are lots more than just four people who are looking for work. So in that context of you know intense competition, you're not gonna find a righteous tale of uh, class solidarity with workers coming together and uniting for the overthrow of the rich so that they can organize society in a way that's, um, that's rational and just. No, you're, you know, much more likely what you're going to get is people just trying to survive and not only trying to survive, but also seeking, aspiring for the kind of lifestyle that the rich have. Because the rich, you know, the that's what in their immediate context, they see that, well, these rich people have it good. They can live carefree. They can have a nice big yard where there's, you know, and like sunlight coming into the giant windows in the house. Um, and that's what we need to aspire for. We don't need to aspire to stand in solidarity with with these other, the rest of these other schmucks, even though we might be in the same situation as them. So, I mean, in that sense, it's a, the story is a 
especially when it starts to like everything unravel when it starts to unravel it is a very naked story about the condition of the working class and obviously the director is someone who's sympathetic to the condition of the working class but he doesn't want to romanticize the working class you know he he wants to show the the real gritty reality of what uh workers are forced to become under capitalism well said i was just going to go back to what you were saying earlier sadia about how the rich were in the dark about what was happening and that made me think about the scene where the father son and daughter finally make it out of the rich family's house after you know hiding under the coffee table for the half the night and then they try and go home and just get a semblance of rest before going back to work the next day and they find that their entire apartment is underwater basically and it just shows the striking difference between you know the the rich family their camping trip got canceled but the poor family their entire house is in sewage water and uh they end up having to spend the night at some some gym sleeping on the on the floor and they don't even really seem that upset about it now that i think about it but they seem kind of resigned to their fate right and and that's where the son is talking to his father and the son apologizes and says that i'm sorry for causing all of this for everything because he was the one who initially had this plan that he would get all of his family hired into the rich family's home and the father says that you know this is why people like us shouldn't make plans that the best plan is to have no plan at all and he says it in this very as you're saying like a, a matter of fact kind of way but it really like it it really hit home it was a very emotional moment mm-hmm. because yeah like if you do make plans and here you know right before everything unravels we see the poor family sitting in the living room of the rich family trying to imagine themselves living in that home as if it were their home and scenarios which would make that happen right and it was at that moment that everything fell apart like for poor people to actually aspire for something to make to like really want it that never works out right like even when they're really close to something it it it's just not on in that kind of society it's just not possible right yeah and that that also was um reinforced at the end of the movie where he's imagining buying the house and rescuing his father who's trapped in the in the bunker and as he's describing his plan you kind of see it unfolding on the screen but then the at the last minute it cuts back to to the son just basically reading this letter that he wrote to his father and the feeling that i got was that this is all just a dream like he's never going to yeah cuz the camera pans down right he's mm-hmm. he has this vision of and we'll i guess we'll get to the ending uh to talk about what happens at the end but um that leads to this but he's imagining you know this vision of uh buying the rich family's house and you're like oh okay did this actually happen mm-hmm. that what's being depicted and then the right. camera pans down and you're once again in the semi basement apartment and the realization very clearly hits home like okay this is just a dream and it's not going to happen 
Um, and it's it's like the sort of the very ending is kind of like this the second Icarus moment in the film, right? Like, well, the first one is when they're sitting around having mm -hmm. a party at the house, yeah, and imagining what it would be like to be rich, and that's their downfall. Mm -hmm. Is they they get too close to the sun, to the you know to this idea that they're going to be rich, and you know that's when it all falls apart. And the second time it happens is, or at least you know visually is at the end. And I think they they reference that um, in the film where he's talking with about the the rock the the scholar's rock. He says to his dad when they're lying on the gym floor, "How does it go?" He says, "Sometimes I feel like the rock is holding on to me," and I think that's a reference. Or I, I feel like that was a reference to you know him not being able to let go of this idea of attaining wealth. And he, in one of the scenes at the end, he does put the rock back, right? Or was that in his uh, imagination sequence that he put the rock back? We might have to go back to the film to check, but hmm. I think he does let it, he physically lets the rock go. But the reality is that it's like, although the rock is a metaphor, but that sentiment is there in him, whether or not there's a rock to try and, you know, bolster that. And I think there is something to, Again, like that the particular class of poor people that's being depicted in the poor family, because again, these are not the destitute. They're not the ones who have no, absolutely no capabilities at all. They do have some capabilities. Right. And yeah. that's, I think, partly what the sort of, uh, what allows for the dreaming to happen, right? That because they're so close, they're close enough to be in this home. They're close enough to pretend to have these degrees from the U.S., to be the tutor, to be the art therapist. And they're incredibly capable. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, don't you think that's the case for the vast majority of people? Like, I mean, even people who are, who may be just completely destitute, mm. you know, it's not as if they don't have any skills and, and capacities. It's that they they can't, they're, they're not able to be socially useful within the existing form of society. But I think there's still stratification, right? That that for these particular people to have been even able to scam the family, they would need to be a step above like other poor people who would not even be able to get a step in. Like they need to be cultured enough. They need to have a certain kind of at least pretend social capital. Well, um, my own sense was that this is a depiction of of a regular sort of working class, of regular working class life. Obviously, it's dramatized, but that, I, yeah, that they are, and if anything, they're, you know, they live in a semi-basement apartment. Like that's, that's a degrading condition. Mm -hmm. That's like worse off probably than most other working class people in Korea. And they understand that, right? Um, I don't know. That was my sense. But on the, the issue of the rock, yeah, so the rock is there, you know, as the symbol of, material wealth and it's supposed to bring wealth to the family and yeah you're, you're right that he does leave it in a stream and at, at the end of the movie mm. but you don't remember that part i don't remember that no yeah well yeah he puts it in a stream and i think that happens for real i don't think that's part of his vision um he leaves it in the uh, in the stream but then you find out well he's still he's still got hoop dreams right he's still chasing wealth and so you know, the, I guess the point is that the rock didn't have anything to do with it. Like he's internalized mm -hmm. um, this kind of aspiration. 
and that we all have, obviously. Like, this is the way that we're socialized within capitalist society. But, I mean, I actually don't know. I think now that I'm thinking about it, the rock might, the putting the rock in the stream might actually have been part of his fantasy sequence because the other kind of climax to the film is when the bunker man realizes that his wife is dead and she was killed by this poor family. And so he comes up to avenge his wife. And in the process of trying to avenge her, he first kills, or he thought he kills, this uh It looks this son. like he kills. Yeah, he yeah. looks like he... And he, he kills him using that rock. Mm-hmm. And he bangs that rock on the top. Like, he seems to, like, break his skull open with that rock mm-hmm. and then leaves him to bleed. And so if that's the case, then... There's no way that this guy would have gone back for the rock, right? And uh, so I think it is a dream sequence because in the dream sequence, it's like I've let go of superstition, what is attached to this rock, and I'm actually going to pursue proper hard work, proper like, you know, going to university and then become rich through legitimate means Mm. and then legitimately own that house. Right. But yeah, so the the, uh, death of the old housekeeper is also interesting because it happens accidentally, right? And the way it happens is she's pushed down a flight of stairs. By the new housekeeper. By the new housekeeper, right? By the mother. Um, And it's kind of a comedic moment actually uh, when it happens. And then, you know, she rolls down the stairs and like hits her head and you're just like, oh shit, like I hope this doesn't. I can't believe I laughed at that. Yeah. Um, And yeah, and then, she like sustains a concussion from that and this kind of and eventually dies but yeah being pushed down a flight of stairs by someone else who's in the same situation right is yeah once again this this theme of uh conflict among the and poor. by someone who was in the basement right so like the the new housekeeper is in the basement and the old housekeeper is trying to come up from the bunker mm-hmm. and the basement housekeeper pushes her further down so like they're already both like kind of in the bottom floors and living in the sort of subterranean level but yeah it, that has to but the conflict is there on that level rather than the level of the main floor where the rich family is and where their lives are playing out hmm Right. Well, yeah, and and the reason she's pushed down the flight of stairs is in order for uh, in in order that the rich family remain oblivious to what's happening. Mm-hmm. So the, here, the poor are fighting amongst themselves um, and engaging in violent conflict and trying very hard to make sure that their betters don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's part of the the struggle as well. They have to keep up the act that everything's good, you know, nothing's wrong. Right. Changing tacks a little bit. I, I wanted to talk about the um, the way that the final scene comes to take place where the, the father ends up killing the, the, the wealthy family's father. And uh, the, the reason that he does that, it seems he's just, he's kind of, he was exposed to the kind of the condescension of the the wealthy father when they were hiding under the coffee table and yeah the rich the rich patriarch is uh basically commenting on the driver and how 
he, he's good. He, he almost he almost offends on occasion, but the one thing he really doesn't like about him is the, is the smell, his smell. And I think that that kind of private conversation that, you know, he would never like come out right and say to the to the poor man mm-hmm. really kind of pushes him over the edge when he's exposed to a milder form of condescension later, uh, right before he kills him. I don't know. Did you guys get that sense? Yeah, I think smell was an interesting kind of uh, a theme as well that that sort of flowed through it because because all four of these people, when they're the poor family, then it's employed in the rich family, they have to pretend that they don't know each other, right? And there's, that they're certainly not related to one another. Right. That they just happen to recommend know each other from like other sources and so the youngest kid of the rich family is actually the first one to comment that the poor family's father and poor family's mother who are the rich family's driver and maid respectively smell the same Mm -hmm. and so then there's this discussion of like well their smell is giving them away as being related to one another but that the smell actually is a smell of their semi-basement and of this sort of like dank and like, I guess, a musty kind of odor. Something that they can't easily change because they were talking about changing their uh, clothes, like a laundry laundry detergent. detergent. Yeah. But then, yeah, the daughter makes the good point that uh, it's just the, the whole house is just, yeah. So they can't get away from the smell. And actually on Reddit, when uh, I was looking at the discussion and people were commenting on this about what you brought up, Connor, about why would the poor father, why would he go after the rich father like that at the last instance? And and some people were like, no, it was because he finally in an overt way covered his nose, right? Because all, all along he's behind the poor father's back, he will make comments Mm -hmm. or sort of very subtly try to open the window of the back seat uh, when he feels like the driver is smelling. But at the last scene, he's overtly like pinches his nose closed. And so there's something aggressive about that really small gesture that sets off the poor father who's already seems to be seeing his daughter bleed to death. And so it ends up being that smell is the front on which this class, like for the the, that class conflict between the rich and the poor, the employer and the employee, it boils down to just smell Mm -hmm. of all things, not exploitation, not you know oppression, not inequality, but just smell. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's it. Yeah, the even though the smell is this, you know, what would seem to be a marginal issue in the entire sort of makeup of things it's the one thing that actually resolves in the final moment you know everything and resolves i don't mean in a sense that like everything comes becomes fine on the contrary but it you know it you know it's also a the smell i think uh is there as an indication that in fact the poor do what they might can't escape their station Mm. in life right Mm. that the smell that they have is a part of their class condition. And, you know, the rich family, like the rich rich father and mother when they're talking on the couch, you know, they they also point this out. It's like, well, the way that the driver smells, the poor father smells, is the way that the people on the subway smell mm, like, right? right? Like 
like, oh, I haven't been on the subway in a long time, but mm. people who are on the subway also smell like this, right? So it's a, broadly speaking, it's the condition of the entire working class. And that's probably why when the young rich kid points to uh, the maid and the driver and the art therapist all smelling alike, the mom just like brushes that off. Well, she brushes, brushes off the kid anyways, but it can also be dismissed as like, well, it doesn't mean they're in the same family, they're the same class. Mm. So the poor people smell like that. So, or the help smells like that. Right. So that's, uh, you know, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the other things that people were questioning in the Reddit thread was about a, rom- a seemingly romantic... This dyna- is a thread on... On this movie. Okay. Um, so it was a discussion thread on Parasite and I found it... No, interesting. Okay. Um, so from the very beginning, what we hear when uh, the poor family son talks to his rich friend Min, he says that the reason why he is trusting, uh, Min is trusting this uh, poor family's kid to tutor the rich daughter hmm. is because he has a romantic interest in the rich daughter and he's worried that his university friends would try to steal her from him behind his back, but he trusts that you know this poor kid wouldn't do that, um, or wouldn't be able to do that. W- I mean, I think that yeah, that is the insinuation that he would never be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we see very quickly is that the the rich daughter starts to express romantic interest in this poor kid who is her tutor. The young or the rich girl seems to be very insecure about his attentions. Um, But on the Reddit thread, people were debating whether he was at all genuinely in love with her or whether this was all part of his scam and his, uh, his fantasy that he would marry her and then this house would be his. What do you guys think? Um, Yeah, it was hard to say whether they actually had genuine feelings about each other, but there was the one scene where close to the end where they're they're looking out at the the guests and he's kind of second guessing everything it seems because he's seeing all these rich families having a party for the the younger son and um he doesn't really see himself fitting in in that type of social setting and it seems like again like he's kind of confronted with the reality of the situation yeah and so he's also quite insecure Mm-hmm. Um, in that situation, and yeah, I mean, as for whether it, they have a, you know, the the poor uh, son and rich daughter, whether they have a genuine connection or not, I mean, the you know, the film portrays it as a somewhat, as it portrays everything, I think, in a somewhat comedic um, way, and yeah, even when they're the the poor family is talking about this because it, you know, he talks to the his family about it it's presented in this like fantasy type of sense and so it seems like there's no there there isn't a genuine connection because well there can't be mm-hmm. right once again like oh you can have a a little fling or whatever but you're never going to be a part of these people's world like you're never actually going to marry this girl like whatever you might want to say about that even though he fantasizes that if he were to marry her he could hire some actors to play his parents at the wedding so it would be like an elaborate you know scam that would have to be continued yeah exactly and so it it's like even that 
would have to have its basis on a scam. So you can't, you know, those those two worlds can't be bridged. So one of the things that I, I it just occurred to me when you were speaking, Connor, about the the party that they throw for the the rich family throws for their young son, is that as their as the mom is talking about the party, they can't, or at least in the subtitles, the the word that keeps coming up is impromptu, right? And I was wondering at the time, like, what is like what is the significance of that? And it occurred to me that the significance is the contrast between this impromptu party. What and the poor uh, son remarks that even though it's impromptu, everyone looks so perfect and beautiful, and everything looks so natural. And so, even without planning, mm. it works out so perfectly for them at the last minute. Whereas mm. for this poor family, all their elaborate plans, all of their scripted—you know—they're writing scripts to like you know come up with um, what they're gonna say. It still falls apart. Everything still falls apart miserably. Wait, do you guys want to? Uh, this is actually really interesting. I, ha- I hadn't thought about this, but do we want to pause on this on this point and and continue the discussion in the next segment? Sure. Sure. All right. So on that note, then we're gonna stop it here, and we'll continue chatting about Parasite. Um, we're gonna make the next segment of our discussion available to our Patreon supporters next week. Remember that you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash oats for breakfast and becoming a patron. The support of our patrons is what makes it possible for us to produce this podcast. So if you've been thinking about supporting but haven't done so yet, head on over to our Patreon and sign up. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.